Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Catherine and she talks me through her three births. Catherine's little boy came quite quickly. She went from six to ten centimetres in about 40 minutes. So his arrival was quite swift. And her second pregnancy and her experience with labour was quite different. So she ended up having a C-section as there was meconium in her waters and her little girl, Olivia, was showing signs of the there was irregular patterns on her trace. Um, but I'll let Catherine tell you more details about that. So she did end up having the V-back that she wanted. So she had made the decision on her third pregnancy that she wanted to go down um, the most natural route possible. Molly was presenting breach quite late on in Catherine's pregnancy, but I'll let her tell you all the details. Molly did give her mum what she was looking for, so she did have the view back in the end, which was lovely. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It's heaving with information for expecting mums, so I hope you enjoy. Catherine, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you just want to start off by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Um, I'm Catherine. I live in Newbridge. I'm 36. I have three kids now. I have Paul, who is six and a half. Olivia is four and Molly is 10 weeks old. And Um, tell us about your first pregnancy. So did you uh, plan your first pregnancy? Yeah, it was planned. Yeah. Um, uh, We were married about six months, I think. And we were ready to start trying and I think yeah we got pregnant straight away really and I didn't expect it at all I kind of expected that we'd have to have a few goals that we'd that we'd be trying for a while that was kind of what I what I thought happened but um we got pregnant straight away and um I kind of knew I was pregnant. I kind of could feel it. And I did a pregnancy test in the morning. I knew something was different and the pregnancy test was negative. And I kind of, I kind of didn't believe it. So then I had another, it was a pack of two. I had another one and I was going to keep it till the next morning. But I think Gav was working late on something and I was, I was bored. I was on my own at home. And I, I did the other one for the crack and it was positive and I kind of, oh wow <laughs> same day so it went from negative to positive, positive yeah, in the same yeah. day yeah 
um yeah it was that evening um and then I didn't know what to do like I, I went and I was looking at the double checking the instructions <laughs> oh what's about him here um, and then he ended up working till about three o'clock in the morning and I tried to wake up to tell him but I fell asleep and then he came in and I kind of woke up and said oh I'm pregnant and he said oh <laughs> I don't think he, he even I thought maybe he thought I was having a dream because he knew that I'd had a negative test that morning um, so yeah that was the kind of strange way that I announced it to him and how far gone were you at that stage then when you found out uh, it was very early. I was only about four weeks, I suppose. Um, yeah, and that pregnancy was very straightforward. I don't think I, I was. I was sicker with Paul than I was with either of the two girls. I think um, boys must not agree with me. Um, but yeah, it was. I was working, and. I was fine. Really. I was tired. I was very tired. I came home from work and just fall asleep on the couch. And I'm not a kind I I don't nap. I'm not a fall asleep on the couch kind of person ordinarily. So that was the main difference. Um and had yeah, you decided I, what route you wanted to go down in terms of care? So did you want to go down? No, I hadn't I hadn't a clue. I remember kind of thinking, oh, I, I don't know what to do now. I I had to pick a hospital and I knew my mum. Um, she had hers in, she had all of us in Mount Carmel, which didn't exist anymore. My sister had her baby in Mount Carmel. And so I kind of, I didn't really know where to go. I had no, there was no automatic, oh, this is where I'll go. So I started researching, um, just reading about different hospitals and finding out what were the possibilities. Um, and I decided on Fort Leash because it was close and because it wouldn't have been as busy as the ones in Dublin. And from what I read, you've not left waiting as long. And that, yeah. that was what influenced me there, I think. Um, and actually, the time that I had, Paul, um, was when there was a lot of controversy about Port Leash Hospital. Um, and there was a lot of investigations done into things that had gone wrong there and I remember a lot of people were anxious about me going there but I felt really confident going there because I felt like it was under such scrutiny at the time that um that like they they weren't going to be taking their eye off the ball at all that they knew yeah was watching them so I actually felt really um really comfortable and I really liked Port Leash so what was your first signs then of going into labour? And actually, had you had any preferences? I Yeah, I wasn't, I, I didn't really know what I wanted, to be honest, because it was the first, I didn't know what to expect, what to, my mum had, had sections on all, she has four kids and she had sections on all of us. So I, I didn't really know what to expect um, from a labour point of view, really. Um, and Paul, I went, I went over on Paul, I think I went about 12 days over and he was measuring big and all of this and they were pushing me to, to be induced. And I was, I was sick of it. I was sick of being pregnant because it was massive at that stage. So I was induced. Um, and the same, the same induction story that everyone has, that, that you're induced and then 
the baby doesn't like the drugs and the heart rate is dropping and you know you hear that all the time and it went on and on and on and I was tired and the baby was tired and I progressed really slowly and I think I was I was nearly I was induced on a Monday morning and on the Tuesday morning they were checking me and I was only six centimeters I think and the consultant, the shift had changed and a new consultant came on. So it must have been about nine o'clock, I think. Um, a new consultant came in and said, this is taking too long. Um, we're going to prep her for a section. She needs to have a section. I'm, I'm putting, drawing a line under this now. And they were getting Gav to take my nail varnish off. And I felt the urge to push. And I said, I, I think I have to push. And... Um, they kind of said, no, no, don't be silly. You'd, like you were checked a few minutes ago, you were only six centimetres. And one of the midwives said, I, she's, she's from Newbridge. I recognised her. I kind of know, knew her to see. She was there and she mm. said she'd check again. And she checked and I was fully dilated and I was ready to go. So I went, I, I, that was, I don't know what time that must have been. Paul was born at 9.41. So it like all went really quickly yeah. from, from six centimetres to born in 40 minutes. Um, so I knew after that experience that, that I start off really slowly and then it all happens really fast at the end. Um, and then I had a bleed. I think I lost nearly a litre of blood. And I was, I, so after that, it's a very hazy. I don't really remember anything after his birth because... Like there was so much going on and, and it all happened so quickly as well. Um, and how did you feel then? You must have felt very weak after the, considering the blood loss. Yeah, I was exhausted. And I look back at pictures and I was so pale and I, like I didn't really, I had nothing to compare it to. So I just, like I'd been in labour for, for a long time and it was a stressful enough labour really, comparing it to, to Molly's birth. Did um, you have any pain relief? Yeah, I did have an epidural because because I was so tired um, and the, the artificial, con- uh, art- artificial contractions with the, the syntocinum, is that what it's called? Mm. They were very strong and it was, it was exhausting for so long. Um, that I think about midnight I had the epidural and I stayed, I think two nights. He was born at 9.41 in the morning. I stayed that night and the night after and then I went home. Um, and he was breastfed. He was tongue-tied as well. He had quite a severe tongue-tie. And a, a student midwife pointed it out to me in the hospital. Um, and she just said, oh, look, he has a tongue-tie just in passing. And his his latch was awful. Like, I was in a lot of pain feeding him. And I had mastitis when I was when he was about six weeks old, I'd say. Um, and I got a, a lactation consultant out in the end and she said that his tongue movement was really, really restricted and he got it, he got it clipped at 10 weeks and then it was plain sailing after that, it was fine. I could see the, new, the pain was completely alleviated then, was it? Yeah, like it, were you, it took him a little while, like he had bad habits, I suppose, latch-wise. Yeah. So we had to kind of relearn everything. Um, but yeah, maybe a week or 10 days of that and then everything was grand. So were you uncomfortable for that whole 10 weeks then? Yeah, it was awful. Oh, God, yeah. 
um, yeah, I remember like, you know, when they feed really regularly when they're little and I, I'd be just watching him dreading the fact that knowing he was about to wake up, like, you know, yeah. like three hour window and I think he's going to wake up and do this again. So we powered through. Yeah, no, it's very hard. Um, yeah, I wish I had gotten, I wish I had reached out to somebody sooner. I just, yeah. again, I had nothing to compare it to and I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I just have to wait longer. You know, maybe this is normal. I don't know. People, people are always saying like, oh, there's, it, it will be sore when you're breastfeeding, but it shouldn't like, there's sore and then there's agony. There's like pain and discomfort, I suppose it's. I was definitely in pain as opposed to discomfort. It's a long time to be going through that because usually it's not usually, but for people who, you know, the, they first start feeding, it's 10 days, two weeks. And yeah, then two it weeks. Starts or, and then when you get to six weeks, your supply will settle and everything will be fine. So yeah. I kind of had six weeks in my head and then it got to that. It's like, no, this is still not, this is not right. But we got it sorted in the end. And he fed until he was, um, I fed until he was 20 months then. Oh, cool. <laughs> and when I was pregnant with Olivia, um yeah my supply dropped and he had no patience and he liked his salads anyway so just kind of gave up that was fine so your pregnancy your second pregnancy so was that planned then that was planned as well yeah um I had a chemical pregnancy uh the cycle before <laughs> Olivia was conceived um I remember doing it. I did a test because I knew like I tested on the day I did a test and I had a very faint positive and then it was negative after that. So that was, I think that's considered, that's a chemical pregnancy. And then we just tried again and succeeded. And that time I felt that I would like a water birth. Um, and the only place at the time that I could have a water birth was in the coom. So I went to the coom for Olivia. And at the time they were treating it as a study that only yeah. low risk women could birth in the pool. Um, and you had to meet a load of criteria. And because I had had a bleed on Paul, I wasn't eligible for a water birth. So I think that I would have been allowed to labor in the pool but not give birth in the pool and I, I didn't fancy the idea of getting out at the right at the point of the drama and um, so so I, by that stage I was in the coom so I kept with the coom and I was doing the domino midwife scheme in Nate's hospital which was really handy and for getting somebody to mind Paul and stuff I didn't have to go far away and I never had to wait long either so the domino was fantastic I loved that yeah that's something actually when you're first it's it's actually nearly a luxury to go into all these appointments without having to think about <laughs> anyone else yeah it didn't matter it was just me it was just yeah day off work kind of yeah 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 but getting somebody to mind Paul and get yeah um so the domino scheme I loved, but then again, as it got to the end of my pregnancy with Olivia, I felt like every time I saw the consultant in the coom, um, I was I wasn't I wasn't a private patient, so it was always a different person I saw anyway. But they were always looking for something wrong, like trying to. <laughs> 
<laughs> find something they could fix, that there had to be something wrong so they could fix it. This, yeah, I went in, I think I was 36 or 37 weeks pregnant. And this consultant decided that I must have gestational diabetes. Um, and she sent me for the test, the glucose tolerance test. So I had to go in for that. Um, and I think because of that, this, I can't really remember exactly, but I think because there was that question was raised, I couldn't be on the domino scheme anymore. I don't know exactly why, but anyway, I was taken off the dominoes and I was in the comb and I did the test and I was, I didn't have gestational diabetes. Um, like I was full term anyway, it was weird. I don't know why she, then another one of them decided that Olivia was going to be a very big baby. Um, Paul was eight pounds, nine ounces. And she was measuring, um, I don't know what, she was measuring bigger than that already at say 38 weeks or whatever. So they started pushing that they wanted me to be induced early and I didn't want to, so I said no. Um, I didn't feel like she was bigger than Paul. I didn't, I don't know, I just, I didn't believe them. And I also wasn't sure how accurate measurements at that stage in a pregnancy would be either because the baby is so squashed in there. I know that it's important to do the measurements at the 20 week scan because after that it gets hard to get accurate measurements or that's what my understanding of it is. Um, but anyway, I, I didn't want to be induced and I didn't want, there was talk of an elective section as well. I didn't want an elective section. I wanted to, to go naturally and to, to wait for it to happen. I knew I had gone over on Paul and I was fully expecting to go over on Olivia. And then the day before my due date, which was the 31st of May, my due date was the 1st of June. I was in the park with Paul. We were having a picnic and he had his bike. And I was sitting down on the rug and he was on his little balance bike and he started to head towards the gate to head out onto the road. And I was calling him back and calling him back and he wasn't coming back. And I had to get up and I had to run after him. And I ran the whole length of the park with people sitting on benches watching me run past at nine months pregnant and not one of them put out a hand and said, hold on there. <laughs> so I ran the whole length of the park and got him. I had him under one arm screaming because he wanted to go wherever he was going. I had the bike in my other hand and I had to go back and gather up the picnic and get the buggy and everything. So <laughs> and it was a really hot day. Um, so anyway, I got him home and that night my waters went and I'm pretty sure he had a lot to do with it. <laughs> it was about three in the morning and I woke up and I, I don't even know why I woke up, but then I felt a pop and a gush and I said, oh, that's why. So I was happy enough. Um, I rang the hospital and let them know and that was fine. And I was... I just put something on the telly and I was bouncing on the ball and walking around and stuff. And then I noticed that the waters, there was, there was meconium in the waters that they were kind of funny color. So I rang the hospital back and I said, okay, we've come straight in then. So um, I think that was maybe, I don't know, it was starting to get bright. So it must've been six or seven, I don't know, maybe even five, I can't remember. Um, so I dropped Paul to my mom's house and we headed on up to the coom. 
and um, I went to the the place where they book you in and they put me on the trace and that and I was being monitored and that was fine and there weren't there was nobody else in that room at that time actually I showed the midwife there my birth preferences which were I wanted natural as natural as I could manage um and yeah I had been doing um gentle birth and I had a lot of gentle birth practices mentioned in my preferences and I just just wanted it calm and quiet and lights dimmed and all that um and as I said as natural as could be achieved and she kind of scoffed and said good luck with that uh, which I don't know she was having she was having a bad night I think she wasn't the most pleasant midwife I've ever met um so she put me on the trace there and I had like the paper sheet under me and like a really thin sheet over me and then somebody else came in and she couldn't speak English and there was an issue with a translator and her husband was trying to translate for her but they had a small child and the small child wasn't allowed to come in and so she was distracted with all of that and I think I was I was there on the trace for about an hour more than an hour actually and I, I started to get very cold and shivering because my waters had gone there were like the sheet I was on was yeah. wet effectively and needed <laughs> clean sheets and I needed so my husband went to get her and she I think she had kind of forgotten about me and um, because she was distracted with the other one she said oh okay okay and she found a room for me I got the feeling then that it was like very busy that there were, it was difficult to find a room there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes and chopping and changing with midwives and um, so a midwife came in called Mary and she was lovely and we were laughing and kind of getting to know her you know when you're just kind of settling in and I was bouncing on the ball and uh, I didn't want constant monitoring but because there was meconium I had to be monitored and Olivia had to be monitored um, and Olivia was constantly somersaulting like constantly moving she's still constantly moving she's always dancing or upside down or she never sits still and I, I remember being really um, conscious of the fact that the I had to keep moving the thing to keep the heart monitor on her that she was she was moving so much that it kept dropping off and losing her losing the connection with her so there were all these gaps in the trace but the midwife had to keep going she, she was I rarely saw her she was in and out for a quick second to check the thing and then she'd be gone again and then the next thing that happened was a different midwife came in with a doctor I think who said they had to move me to a different room um, and just to gather up my stuff quickly so they moved me down to the the pool the room with the birthing pool actually and they were saying oh this is great this is the state-of-the-art room and we can play your music through the speakers and we can set all that up and that's fine and they set me in there and Mary the midwife never came back and never saw her again I don't remember any name any, like I didn't kind of get a chance to chat with anybody else there was a different midwife every time they came in the door that's a shame because it started to build up a bit of a rapport with her didn't it yeah and I, and like, I liked her I remember yeah but then the next thing that happened was um, a 
doctor came in and looked at the trace and said, I don't like that there's gaps in this. I, I'm going to say that you need to go for a section. And I, I kind of like, I was kind of questioning it. I was like, well, I can tell you why there's gaps. Like I'm trying to move this to keep it on her. I can feel her moving and I'm following it. It's not that it wasn't showing that she was in distress at all that I understood. It was just that they didn't, there, there was nobody in the room watching the trace or there was, there was nobody there kind of talking to me about what was happening, if you get mm. me. And putting it together with what they were seeing on the, the readout. It was just all of these gaps that had no explanation. Um, and I didn't think that was a valid reason for a section. And I had only been there um, seven or eight hours at that point. Um, and they had me on the drip to try and get things moving because, because when I came in and I, like I say, I was um, in the uh, assessment unit. I was in the assessment unit and kind of sitting there uncomfortable for so long like everything everything stopped when I went into the hospital like the contractions stopped everything just all because I was nervous yeah. I think and because there had been meconium in the water and it kind of made it a bit a bit of a there was something wrong finally the consultants were always looking for something wrong and now there kind of was um so yeah everything had stopped I was on the drip then to try and get things moving again and obviously it wasn't moving fast enough and I, I was trying to explain I had explained to the first midwife about my birth with Paul and that it all started out really slow and then was like over in a flash and um, so that was kind of what I was expecting this time and I was like don't worry if it's not progressing because that that's that's just me I think um but there was nobody chatting about what's normal or anything anymore she was gone and these people wanted me to have a section I think mainly because they were busy and it would speed things up and get me out of the room I think that that was the feeling that I got at the time um so then she went off she said she'd give me a little bit longer and see how things went and the same thing was happening I was trying to move the thing getting more stressed so my contractions were like the, the drip kept having to be increased and then that was causing her distress because the, the dose of the drip was so high. Um, so then she came back in again and she said, now you've had your, you've had your time to see what, what you can do and you didn't do it effectively. Um, so... I want you to go for a section now. We're going to prep you for a section. And I, I tried to say, can we just wait a bit longer or just ask more questions? And she's, she came right up close to my face and said, listen, we don't want your baby to die. And like, that was quite shocking. And I didn't, like, as far as I was aware, Olivia wasn't in any distress, really. Yeah, I was going to ask you. When, when, they, when they upped the dose and she, her heart was being a bit funny, they reduced it down again. She was fine again. Um, so that was, yeah. Anyway, um, I signed the forms and went down and I had a section. And I was, I was very upset. There was a lovely, lovely nurse down in the theatre when I was getting ready for, to, to have the, the 
spinal block and all that. She was lovely. And she said she she said she had eight kids and she had them every way under the sun. And she she just kind of t- I, I was kind of panicking because everything went so far out of control. And I really didn't feel like I was being listened to up to that point. But she she was lovely and she kind of just held my hand and calmed me down while my husband was outside waiting. And then he came in and it was all it was all OK. And um, so then Olivia was born at three minutes to four um, and she was fine. She, there was no sign of any kind of distress or, or any sort. She was absolutely fine. She was actually better than Paul. She was top of all the, the APGAR scores and everything. She was fine. What weight was she? She was eight pounds one. So she was smaller than him. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Um, and actually the, the doctor that did the section wasn't the, the lady that got up into my face. I never saw her again either. I don't know where she went or who she was. Um, she didn't do the, the section. It was another, uh, yeah, another consultant did that and she was quite young and she actually came up to me in the maternity ward afterwards to see if I was all right because she knew I had been upset. And she had also checked the trace at one point when I was in the room. And I had explained to her about Olivia moving around and that I was finding it hard to keep the thing on her. So, and she had tried to fight my corner a little bit with the other, who was obviously a senior doctor who wanted to do the session. She had kind of said, well, um, well Catherine thinks that, that this is the cause of all these gaps. Mm. And someone said, well, that doesn't matter. I haven't seen whatever, so... I haven't seen what I want to see. And that's the end of that. And um, so she was lovely. She came and checked on me and we had a chat and kind of that helped me process it all. Um, so she gave you a bit of a debriefing I, then, did she just to kind of go through? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, she said, she said really, um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. She, she said that really she couldn't see any reason there was no there was no distress like when she when she took Olivia out Olivia was absolutely fine um, there was no ill effects of the meconium there was no no sign of her being sleepy or anything like that she was absolutely fine and kind of that that she knew that I was kind of uh, justified in my upset okay. really I think um but it was what it was and it's fine she was fine and I'm I was fine really slightly traumatized yeah. <laughs> and how was your recovery then after the section um it was okay uh yeah it was fine it was different definitely to Paul I can't do you know my recovery and and that kind of time after Olivia's birth I think the shock of the way it all went down I I don't really remember a lot after it. I kind of blocked out all of the the recovery side of things and just, fo- I think I just focused on her, her yeah. like very obsessively focused on her. Um, and she, she actually, they, after she was born, they put her, they checked her and everything and she was fine. So they brought her over and put her on me and she, I crawled to the breast and she latched herself on, which was lovely. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So from, from that 
moment I kind of was like well I'll just focus on on her now and just ignore everything else that just happened because this is the this is the good bit um and she she was brilliant everything went fine she was a great feeder um she wasn't the best sleeper she had reflux okay um so she would have woken a lot for feeds but we were co-sleeping so I kind of got into a a good groove of just kind of rolling over and feeding her and falling back asleep so it was it was fine um the reflux kind of peaked and then we got used it didn't really seem to bother her Paul actually had silent reflux because of his tongue tie and that bothered him an awful lot more than Olivia's reflux she would just projectile vomit and not even react um, but she did feed it a lot because she wasn't keeping it all down, I suppose. Um, yeah. And so then how did you like, did you, did you decide, did you make a conscious decision to just bank that basically bank how you felt after the section or did you ever revisit it to kind of to deal with it? When I was pregnant with Molly, I did um, I was going back to Port Leash and I had to get my notes from the coom. And I I was terrified of them. When they came in the post, I, I like it was on a disc, it wasn't gonna jump up and bite me. I couldn't even read it. It was on a disc, but I I like hid it for a while. <laughs> I I had a very strange reaction to it. And I didn't really realise how big of a thing it was really until it came to having to explain it to midwives in Port Leash and they were asking me why I had a section and I I didn't really know the answer you know that kind of way because they wanted to know from a medical point of view what happened and I didn't know really um so yeah I I I had to process all that and I had to kind of go through all that during lockdown which was interesting and fun but it was it was worth it. I read my notes. I eventually I I hid them for ages and I didn't open them. And then eventually I did kind of steeled myself and I sat down and I read through them all. And sure, it's nurses and doctors handwriting. I couldn't read half of it. But even the fact that I looked at it and went through it and kind of revisited it in my head and went through my own memory yeah. of it helped a lot. Um, and I just I just let it just let it be that and moved on from it like it happened that's fine we'll learn from it hopefully and and I I was glad that I wasn't going back to the comb because like there's nothing wrong with the comb the the domino midwives the majority of the people I met in the comb were absolutely fantastic um but just because my memory of it was tainted slightly I was glad to be going back to Port Leash because I felt like I had a better chance of, like in Port Leash, I almost had a section with Paul, but yeah. got away with it. Whereas in the coom, it went the other way. So, um, yeah, but when I was pregnant with Molly, I went to Port Leash. And tell me about your pregnancy with Molly then. I was um, um, her pregnancy planned? Uh, it was. I had two miscarriages last year. Um, early miscarriages um, one I was I think eight weeks and another one I was six weeks pregnant 
so they were quite early but um i was very very nervous around all of her pregnancy selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit PlushCare.com/weightloss. That's PlushCare.com/weightloss. Um, because it just kind of after a loss like that, it just kind of changes how you. How you think about it, really, um, because I suppose with Paul and Olivia, I got it pregnant easily, um, and it all went more or less hmm. textbook pregnancy-wise. Um, I just suddenly had this whole world of anxiety opened up to me, <laughs> um, knowing how it feels when something goes wrong. Um, so I knew I was pregnant around Christmas, but nobody else knew. And then, but I think I wasn't drinking, like I'm sure loads of people guessed, but nobody officially knew. Um, and then it, the lockdown happened on the 13th of March, just after Paul's birthday. And that was kind of when I was starting all my hospital visits and all kind of coincided with that. So Gav wasn't able to come with me for any of the any of the scans or any of that and that was nerve-wracking did you have early scans then because of your previous miscarriages um I went for an early private scan okay um because I had done it before with the other two I've gone to ultrasound dimensions in Black Rock and 
um, they did my gender scan with Olivia as well because when I went for the 20 week scan with Olivia, she kept her, her legs firmly crossed for the whole thing and we never found out the gender and I wanted to. So I went for a, a private scan for her for a, a gender scan. So I went back there because, again, because it was somewhere I was comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I knew Gavin would be able to come with me. I can't remember yeah. time-wise. That wasn't in that wasn't in lockdown. That was at the beginning of the year, but still. Um, we could kind of pick our own time and he wouldn't have to take time off work and that kind of thing. <clears throat> so we went and everything was fine and that was a big relief. But then the, I remember the 20 week scan, I was so nervous. Like I didn't actually realize how nervous I was until, until I was coming home from it. And I think I cried the whole way home. I just, it just it was a release of, it felt like this was a, I don't know, a milestone to get to that I obviously had in my head. Yeah. Like it worked up to a big thing for me. Um, and it was around Gav's birthday and he wasn't able to come with me. So um, I wanted to find out the gender, but I wanted to make a make it a special thing for him. So um, I had knitted a little blue hat and a little pink hat and brought them both with me. And I was going to wrap up the appropriate one with a scan photo and give it to him as part of a birthday present. And then he could open it with the two kids and they found out that she was a girl and it was all very exciting. So that was kind of um, a focus for me as well yeah. because, because I was just so nervous about that scan. Um, but yeah, that was fine. And, and again, my pregnancy with her was absolutely fine as well. Apart from um, I had SPD with her. I had it a little bit with Olivia, but it was way worse this time. Um, and yeah, I wasn't really, oh God, it's all such a blur now in my head. I'm trying to figure did out. You, did the hospital um, offer any physio or did you go privately for physio or could you at that stage actually? Um, the hospital, um, I kind of had to, to really push and kind of say this this is a problem for me like I I'm having a real trouble walking here um, and they did refer me for physio um but then the physio rang me and she said that she couldn't see me in person because wherever um oh actually it was the physio and Nace hospital that they referred me to because I was closer and I think the building that the physio department is in also has some high risk patients so they weren't letting anybody in um they weren't letting kind of day cases or yeah you know any they weren't taking any physio she said she could see me over uh, over zoom or something like that um, but then um as things eased up a little bit towards the kind of towards the summer I was able to go and I saw the physio and she gave me um, the wrap and she gave me exercises to do. Um, and I ended up with crutches just for the last few weeks of my pregnancy. Um, and my mom and my sister took the older two to look after them because like, as it went on, I really couldn't walk. So the, um, the clinic appointment where I found out that Molly was 
breach was on the Friday and I was booked in for a, for a section the following Thursday. Um, I had to go down um, for a COVID test and blood tests on the Tuesday. It had to be done. The COVID test had to be done 48 hours before the section. So over the weekend, I did everything I could to try and flip her back the right way. So I was doing all of the spinning babies exercises. I was standing on my head. I tried acupuncture, tried reasoning with her, talking to her, anything I could think of. Um, and I was kind of hopeful then going in on the Tuesday that I felt that maybe something had happened. Um, so I went in on the Tuesday, a midwife did the COVID test and I asked her if she would have a feel of my bump and see if she thought um, it was a head or a bum down there. And she said she wouldn't be comfortable saying definitively whether or not the baby was breached from just feeling it, but that she'd put me in the queue for a scan after I'd had my bloods done. So I went and got the bloods done and I joined the queue for the scan and went in and it was the same doctor that had scanned me on the Friday and she kind of said, oh, what are you doing here? Um. So anyway, she scanned me. I told her that I kind of, I was really hopeful that I wouldn't have to have the section, that I really wanted to go myself. Um, didn't want to have the scheduled section and if I could avoid it in any way that that's what I wanted to do. So she did the scan and she said, no, I'm really sorry, she's still breech. Um, so I was I was disappointed, but I was kind of OK. And I said, all right, OK, I'm having her on Thursday. So um, I went home, kind of relaxed. I knew I had two days before, well, the day and a half before baby would arrive. Um, then that was Tuesday, the Wednesday night, I felt uh, the previous Wednesday, I had felt really uncomfortable going to bed. I just felt like she didn't fit properly in my bump anymore. Like she was pushing out the sides like it was just really I couldn't get comfortable. It felt like everything was stretching and I was going to burst. And I had the same feeling that Wednesday night going to bed. And I kind of I didn't want to get my hopes up that she was going to be turning the right way. I just kind of tried to ignore it, tried to relax. I had to be in the hospital at eight o'clock the next morning. So I was getting everything ready and going to bed early. Um, and we were heading down in the car then the next morning. And I kind of. I felt like she had moved a lot in the night, but I didn't again, I didn't want to say it out loud because I didn't want to get Gav's hopes up or I didn't want to jinx anything. So anyway, we went down and he waited in the car. I went in. Um went up to the assessment unit because they had written on my notes that I wanted to have a scan before anything, just to make absolutely sure that she was still breech. So I went in and a midwife came in and had a feel and said, I think that's a head down there. And I said, oh God, don't please don't say that. Don't get my hopes up. Just <laughs> make sure before you say anything like that. So she went and got somebody else. She got a doctor to come and scan me. And the doctor, she seemed to be quite a junior doctor. She seemed a little bit unsure, but she said she did that. She couldn't switch the machine on first. That's why she was a bit unsure. She did the scan anyway. She said, yeah, that's definitely head down. Um, and then my consultant happened to be there. 
And I'd only met her once because when you go public, you don't necessarily see them really. I mean, you don't see the same doctor every time anyway. Um, and she came in and she did a scan as well. She said she wanted to double check because she had booked me in for that day because she knew she'd be there and she knew I was upset when I found out Molly was breech. Um, and she had come and spoke to me and she had kind of reassured me back on the Friday when it all started going disastrously. Um, yeah, so she came and she checked and she said, yeah, it's definitely head down, still quite high, not engaged at all, but definitely down. So like the, they were coming in, measuring me for the, the compression stockings and everything, but she was head down. So I rang Gav and said, um, I think we're going home. And he was shocked and I was delighted. And I packed up all my stuff and headed off out again. Um, she so she said that was the Thursday. Then she said there was no point in me coming back in for the the Friday clinic the following day to leave it until the next Friday. So I had eight days then, um, eight days grace to get something happening. And she she was lovely. She, I said, is there anything I can do to get the head engaged and get her down and make sure she doesn't do this again? And she said, dance, dance the baby down, just dance all day and all night. So that's what I did. I danced. And then when I was about 39 weeks pregnant, I was, uh, I was out at the washing line. Um, it was a Saturday. I was hanging out the clothes and Olivia was helping me. And I reached up to hang something up and something just, I don't know, I thought at the time that she had moved because I was in I was in kind of early labor like you know that kind of yeah the the stop start and that had been going on for a while and it was it was kind of I felt like there was something happening that day like it hadn't gone away that night um so I kind of felt like labor was starting and then I thought that she had shifted and settled on my sciatic nerve because I my leg was in agony like I had to go and get Olivia to run out the front Gav was mowing the lawn at the front and I had to get her to go and get him to carry me into the house because I couldn't I couldn't put I couldn't bear weight on my leg um and I went and I hid in the shower because <laughs> I was in so much pain I didn't want to frighten the other two and my sister and and Gav got them ready and like I kind of thought maybe I'm in labor and this is part of what the, the journey that this is going to take. Um, so anyway, my sister and Gav got them packed up and they went off and then he and I went, I had to put, I put on the TENS machine because I needed to do something to, to stop the pain. And I thought maybe I, I still was having contractions at that time and they weren't regular or hard to deal with or anything like that. But we went to the hospital because I rang the, the hospital and they said, come in and we'll see what's going on. Um, and that was, that was the 15th of August. I went in anyway. And this was still like, the restrictions were all there. And so Gav had to bring me to like a, we went to this porta cabin at the, the door of A&E and I had to sign in and all of me to wear masks and he could bring me as far as the doors of A&E then. And 
um, I was brought in a wheelchair up to the the assessment unit in maternity and he'd go and just wait until I called him. So he went and parked the car. I went up and I was assessed and I was definitely having contractions and there was something happening. But the, like I couldn't I couldn't tell them when a contra- contraction was happening because all that I could focus on was the pain in my leg. It was the only thing I could feel. Um, so they brought me down then to the labour ward and I was checked and I was two centimetres and they said that he couldn't come in until I was three centimetres. Then there was, this was this kind of thing I had to achieve. Um, and that was that... I think that was at about that was at about noon when I went down to the labour ward, and was it? No, it wasn't. It was sorry. That was that was at four o'clock when I was there, and then as the day wore on, there was no change, no change, and it was just the pain in my leg. And they they had the the monitors on me and were seeing contractions showing up but they weren't getting regular and they weren't they weren't evening out at all they weren't could you feel them at the stage I could feel that I was having contractions but I didn't care that I was having contractions because my leg was so sore that all that that was all that I was interested in and I couldn't get comfortable I was moving around I was trying to sit or stand or I was the worst pain it was incredible because there was no relief from it no matter what I did um, and I think um, at about 10 or 11 o'clock, I rang up and I said, just go home because he had been sitting in the car for seven hours. He was afraid to eat or drink anything because he didn't want to go to the toilet because he didn't know where he would go. And um, he's just sitting reading a book for seven hours. So <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. Was there was there bathroom facilities for the partners? Well, if there were, he didn't know of them or didn't know where they were. Like he, if if he had to go, he didn't know where to go. Um, so he, he that was that was his plan, just to not eat or mm. drink anything. Uh, because I was telling him to bring snacks and bring things in the car, and he said, "No, sure, where will I go to the toilet?" Um, and I don't, I don't, I, like it was never mentioned to me. I never thought to ask, to be honest, because he was. I sent him home, and it was only afterwards he said. I, I didn't know where to go to the loo and I was dying when I got home. Um, God, I've never even thought of that. Yeah, I know, it didn't, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. I was worried about him being hungry but not having to go to the loo. And were you chatting? Like, were you able to, like, were you texting and yeah, on the phone? Yeah, keep... I was ringing him every now and again, just giving him updates, but um, I didn't really, I don't know. I was, it's kind of, I was trying to focus and trying to just get into the zone and I was listening to music and trying to be calm and just because I knew that if I was nervous, nothing would happen. So I was really just trying to ignore everything. And I, I if I spoke to him, I would have got upset because he wasn't there. So I was, yeah. I was just, yeah, just trying to ignore everything that's going on around me. Um, and the midwives again were gorgeous. So I was two centimetres, nothing was happening. They sent me back down to the, the ward to, to sleep. They get, she gave me pethidine, actually, to see if that helped. And it kind of took the edge off a little bit, but it was still so painful. 
Um, I didn't really sleep. I was mooching around all night and kind of bouncing on the ball and I was just really restless. Um, and then the next day, same thing. There was no change. I was at two centimetres again. So then a consultant who had been my consultant on Paul, actually, but I rarely met him. He came in and he said that um, actually, yeah, he, he was going to, I, I was asking, could I be let home? Would it be okay? Could I just go home? And because there was nothing happening, everything, if anything had been happening, it had stopped. Could I go home? And he said, he, they said the consultant would come and check me and he would sign me out if I could go home. So he came and checked and he felt my bump and he said, this baby is breech. So hold on. <laughs> I said, no, she couldn't possibly be. She isn't, she isn't. So he sent, he brought me down to the assessment unit again to scan me and see if she was, so that was just the most, he said, she's going, you're going to have to go for a section because she's breech. Um, and I said, there's no way she couldn't be. Um, so we went and he scanned me and she wasn't, she was head down. <laughs> But he was wrong. He just, he was so sure by feeling my bump, he said, this baby is breech. And I, I just, I didn't believe him. I, I don't know. Anyway, he said, he, he said, we have to scan her. And if the baby, if I'm right, if the baby is breech, she has to have a section. He, this, he's a, <laughs> he never really spoke to me. He always spoke to another medical professional in the room about me and that was how I got the information about what was going to go on like he yeah he told somebody else the baby was breech and that I needed a section as if I was an inanimate object just inanimate object um, yeah and then he did the scan and he, it, it proved him wrong and he was annoyed at that then <laughs> Like, well, what was I feeling here? Like, I don't know, her bone. <laughs> so anyway, he was ready to book me for another scan, but I got away with that one, or not scan, and book me for another section, but I got away with that as well. And he said that I could go home because she was head down, there was nothing happening. And um, so I went home and then, um, I didn't, I didn't sleep for, a, it went for another week then. Um, nothing happening, just this agony in my leg that I couldn't get relief from, from anything. I couldn't, I couldn't rest. I couldn't sit comfortably. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't, it, lying down, nothing relieved it. And were you still having the contractions? I, on and off, but it got really faint. Um, it, it went back to, the early you know when it really the early days of it starting off yeah I felt like I just went back to square one but eventually it did it picked up and picked up and I felt like there was something happening again and um then one yeah one night I we uh, I had a lovely evening actually we the kids weren't here they had gone to stay with my mum and we got a takeaway and we watched uh, an old movie and just kind of hanging out and enjoying each other's company and just being really chilled out. And it was a lovely, relaxed evening. 
and I kind of felt really positive and it was a really good day. Like I still, my leg was driving me mental, but it was the, the best day in a long time. Um, and I started having more regular contractions then and they were kind of picking up a little bit. So I went to bed and hoping that they would last through the night and that, that something was going to happen and got up about five o'clock in the morning. I felt like this, these are starting to get annoying now. Um, so I went and got into the bath and I was in the bath for a while reading my book and then Gav woke up probably about seven o'clock and he kind of came to see where I was and see if I was okay and I was grand. I was happy out in the bath just reading and relaxing and kind of hoping, you know, I was trying to take it really easy and like I always think of like when when I was younger I had cats and when they were going to have kittens they would go and find somewhere yeah, yeah. in the hot press or under the duvet on somebody's bed or somewhere to make a little nest and it was quiet and undisturbed and I was making my little nest. Um, and you were hoping to stay home for as long as possible. Yeah I wanted to stay home yeah. as long as I could because I knew Gav couldn't I knew like I, I it was actually good that I had been in there previously and I kind of knew what to expect Mm. that I knew what was ahead of me um when it did come time to go to the hospital so that I was I was way more calm about everything um and I was texting my friend and kind of letting her know what was going on just to have someone to chat to about it and get excited about as well yeah yeah um so I rang the hospital then and just let them know what was going on and said I was happy enough to stay at home. And they said, when they get closer together, let us know. So it started to get kind of, um, I wonder, it was about, yeah, it was about 11 o'clock. Um, started getting really uncomfortable. I was uh, sitting, I had gotten, I got out of the bath about eight, I think, and I was kind of walking and bouncing on the ball and just, making sure I had everything ready and, you know, just pottering around and starting to really get uncomfortable then about 11. So I, um, they were coming quite close together as well. Um, so, and knowing that I had already, like every time I was checked when I was there previously, I was two centimeters. So I was aware that, that, that I was already started, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so we I think it was about 11 o'clock yeah it was about 12 o'clock when we got there so it was 11 o'clock I rang them and said we're going to come in I think there's something happening um, so I went um, and the same thing again we went to the porter cabin and he dropped me off and a wheelchair brought me up and, uh, and how did you feel then knowing that this was this was going to be it and then the next time we saw Gavin, you know, you'd be in probably in the throes of labor. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was all really calm, I, strangely calm, like with the amount of anxiety that it had in the entire pregnancy. When it got to this, when it got to that point, and I knew for sure, like, I, I kind of felt like with Olivia, with her waters going and the meconium being there, that that bit of being at home and just hanging out and and I, I felt I missed out on that bit that everything mm. suddenly got rushed. So I was absolutely delighted to have 
to have started myself, not being induced, not no interference at all, just to have gone into labor and to that everything was on my own terms. Yeah. To this point. So, so like I was fine. Everything like I was happy. Um, and yeah, so we went up and I went into the maternity assessment and I was put on the trace and everything was fine and the baby was grand, her heart rate was like perfect the whole way along. And they checked me and I was three centimeters, so they said, Yeah, you're not going home. You will it's I was actually quiet. There weren't that many people around. They said we'll bring you straight up to the delivery ward and you can ring your husband once you're in there and he can come in. So he I think he was only waiting 20 minutes in the car that time. Okay. And um, it was like ideal, it was perfect. So I rang him and he came up with the bags and stuff. And uh, we got settled in and the contractions were getting really strong. Like I had really, really strong contractions, but they, they weren't they weren't doing a lot. But again, I wasn't upset about that because I didn't expect much to happen until right at the very end that I, from what had happened with Paul, that was just in my head what was going to happen, that it was going to take ages and then all of a sudden be over with. And how was your leg at this stage? Um, that, oh, that was still killing me. I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable with it. But I, it had been like that for so long that I kind of got used to it, that mm. that just was the way it was. Um, and I had found ways, of, like I, I had to sit with my leg bent and my knee out to the side and that would that was the least sore position to have it it wasn't exactly a relief but it was just not as sharp um so I was I was moving around a lot they had the the wireless monitors on me so that was nice to be able to move around and get on the ball if I wanted to I mostly was kneeling up on the bed and the contractions she said the contractions were like like really strong that you'd expect to see with the the artificial drip and that she was really hopeful that that something would happen that she was going to leave it for a while before she checked me and all that and she she was lovely um i we had like we kind of got on really well with her and we when you build up a relationship it makes such a difference that you're oh absolutely yeah um so yeah, and it was so quiet. She had no, she didn't really have anyone else to look after either. So it was kind of, I was the only one in the, the labor ward. So that was nice as well to have full attention, really. Um, Such a contrast to your previous birth. I know, it was complete opposite. Mm. And I was so calm because of, I, I, I don't know if it, was, if it was the chicken or the egg. Like if I was calm because everything was different or if everything was different because I was calm, it was. Yeah. Uh, bit of both I suppose um, and then they were they were getting really really intense like I was I had gas and air at this point and they were very intense so I asked for an epidural because because I was I was quite tired from not having slept properly for the whole week with the leg and all that so I, I just felt that if I was going to get through the whole thing from start to finish I needed to be able to to rest because I knew that the it was going to take me a while to get to the point of pushing and full dilation 
So um, they came in and gave me the epidural and that was brilliant because that actually was the first time I had relief from my leg as well as. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I went to sleep nearly straight away after the epidural. I just I lay down and I relaxed and kind of snoozed. She checked me. I think I was four centimeters before the epidural. And then I slept for a few hours. And she came back and checked me at, I think, about six o'clock. And I was seven centimetres. Um, having just slept and done nothing else, it was gorgeous. It was lovely, nice slept. Um, and she said... It sounds like your body needed that just yeah, to get you over that yeah. hump. Yeah. And um, she said she was going to leave me another hour and then we'd see about pushing. And I said, yeah, grand, whatever. No, sorry, I wasn't seven. I was fully dilated. I was at 10 centimetres when she came back. Oh, right. Yeah, I was um, 10 centimetres and she was going to leave me for an hour to see. Just, you know, it, it, there's that, there's a transition or there's that little time where the body takes a rest after getting to 10 centimetres before the, it's ready to fully push. So she said, you're happy there, you can relax. Um, and I'll come back and see how we're doing. So, so that was fine. I kind of was dozing and chatting and happy and relaxed and just felt that everything was going exactly as it should be. Um, Molly's heart rate was absolutely spot on. Like the difference, I, I had such a vivid memory of trying to keep the thing on Olivia. Um, and Molly didn't move. She was just so, so calm and so relaxed and so chilled. And she still is. And um, her heart, like I was having really, really, really strong co- contractions. You know, you can watch the numbers going yeah. up as, as contraction. And once I had the epidural, we were just, we were interested to see like when a contraction was happening because I couldn't feel it. Um, and we were watching the numbers go up and they were going higher and higher and her heart rate was just stable, perfect, fine the whole way through. It's so cool the way they can be so different. <laughs> yeah, so different. Yeah. And their temperament, like even when I was pregnant, I knew that she was chilled because Olivia was, it was like Cirque du Soleil going on all the time. She was constantly flipping and moving. Whereas Molly, if she, when she kicked, it felt more like a kind of a yawn and a stretch yeah. and a wiggle down. She came back after an hour then to check me and I was 10 centimetres and she said, I'll give you a few minutes and um, do a little practice push then and see if we're ready to go. So uh, she gave me a few minutes. She came back. She got herself ready, I suppose, got everything because yeah. there was no no panic. Everything was really calm. She yeah. went off, got herself organised. It was lovely. It was just so chilled. Um, and she said, um, just try a little push there. And then she said, oh, I, I did a push. And she said, oh, well, this is going to happen really quickly. So we'll just <laughs> roll up our sleeves and go for it. And I think um, 10 minutes later, Molly was born. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not a bother. She actually, there was meconium. Again, a lot of meconium really dark and the cord was around her neck twice and still her heart rate never never wavered there was not a bother on her um and they brought her over just to check her over after 
the cord being around her neck and the meconium in the water, but she was fine. Um, and I had a tear. I'd had a tear with Paul as well, quite a bad one, I think, but I, I, I was so out of it after that, I don't know. But with Molly, I think I had two stitches and yeah, it was grand. Um, stitched up and everything was sorted and she latched on straight away as well and fed really well from the start and um, Gav was because there was there was nobody there it was such a quiet evening she was born at 7.25 and they just kind of left us they brought in tea and toast and Gav did skin to skin with Molly while I had my tea and toast and um, they left I think they just left us alone and I think it was about 10 o'clock before he went home before somebody kind of remembered we were there and was like oh actually you should go <laughs> but it was lovely like just it just all worked out so well and I know there's so many awful stories about people having having babies during COVID and during all the restrictions but mm. I suppose it's nice to have a positive point of view yeah, as well because it really couldn't have gone better just from the start when he was only waiting outside for 20 minutes and being left for so long afterwards as well it was just perfect I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. Simply send me an email to irelandsbirthstories at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at irelandsbirthstories. I look forward to bringing you another episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.